Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness, and we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. Hi, y'all. This is Reverend Anna Galladay, and we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for us to get our hands dirty. We're ready. Are you? Pastor. Dr. Robin. How the heck are How's you? How's it going? Oh, I'm good, girl. I mean, I'm looking a little, little bit like John the Baptist you, again, you but are. I'm good. You, you're getting a little shaggy up in there. You, uh, you're starting to, you're starting to uh, have hairs sticking out all over your face and your chin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like it. I had to, I, thank you. I had to do a little bit of shave this weekend. So got the shave, got the electric shaver back out and you know, I just can't um, be too scraggly of during course. this COVID life. Of course. Of course. We've got to maintain a, a at least a, a subtle semblance of, of, of self. Subtle. Subtle. Yeah. Subtle. Yeah. I know. I, I actually had an appointment this morning. I put on pants with a zipper and a button. Mm. And I felt very odd doing so. Yeah. They weren't like yoga pants or... Right. Leggings or, you know, they were, they were real pants and, uh, you know, did my hair, put some, ma- some mascara on. And I was like, look at me. Who's that bitch? You were ready girl? to go. Who, who is yeah. that person? I don't even yeah. recognize her. So. I love it. Yeah. I, um, I worked all weekend, but I felt like I did some really good work. We, we released, um, the Activist Theology Project released a short film on supremacy culture. So everybody should check that out um and we're back again for this week's episode of the podcast uh kind of closing out our pride month exactly it's the end of june and we're really really thrilled to to kind of be closing it out with a pretty significant bang if i if i do say so myself yeah a a big old queen a big old queen sitting up here in the house with us so, I mean, I feel like we should just get going. Come on, let's do it. And 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 let people know who's with us. Exactly. Let's let's not keep let's not keep the uh the the audience waiting any longer cuz once they start hearing his voice they're going to be like, "Can you two shut up and just let us listen to Kevin Garcia?" Yes. <laughs> Welcome, Kevin. Hello, I am so glad to be on the line with both of you. A, it's been too long. Oh, we, yes, I miss yes, you we both. miss you too. Well, I miss you. I can't speak for Robin, but I miss you. No, I'm, <laughs> I miss you. I wish, I mean, the last time Kevin and I were together in my house, Kevin got stung by a bee. Oh, <laughs> that's right. That yeah. was my first bee sting ever. So, of course, I was concerned about anaphylaxis. Well, I'm glad you were to tell about it. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you and me both. Because like my dad, um, he was allergic, and so like I was just like, either we're going to the hospital or right. it's gonna be fine. Don't <laughs> worry. And so like my, I have like this weird. I'll go into um, 
I don't know, some sort of defense mechanism to myself of just like being optimistic and positive and staying calm, like really like freakishly calm. Um, but then all was well. Yeah, sort of anticlimactic into the story. I didn't go into anaphylaxis, no, guys. But we were just trying to have coffee together because it, it was like our first time to get together. Kevin came to my house. We were sitting out on the porch and Kevin got stung by a bee. And I was like, oh, fuck, what do we do now? So. Now, no bees. No bees. Yeah. No bees. No bees. No bees. <laughs> Lots of tea, so, but bees. So. Kevin, how the hell are you down in Atlanta? Lots been happening in Atlanta. Oh yeah, Atlanta's um, personally, um, uh, you know, like everyone, I think um, the allostatic load of the world is like at a five out of ten. And allostatic is a fancy word for like uh, community stress or okay. cultural stress. Um, I learned that from a, a friend of mine. Uh, so my stress, I would say like, it kind of sits at like a 3.5 to a 4.5, depending on the day. Mm -hmm. Um, and I noticed that if I'm not taking care, like if I'm not checking off my self-care list, just the basics of, did you eat this morning? Like, oh, no wonder you're hungry. Your body's in survival mode. So you're panicky. Why don't you go right. grab a bite to eat? Um, right. so I'm, uh, I've been really leaning into my practices around self-care and meditation and checking in with like my team of people who like, you know, my therapist and my psychiatrist, um, I'm very lucky to have access to both. Um, mm -hmm. and then also having a community of people who understands and leans with them. Lean, I, they, I, yeah. I get to lean on them. Um, yeah. but beyond that, like I graduated from school, I feel really uh, physically very healthy. Um, I've been, uh, we're doing, I'm going on like my, I turned 30 and now I, I can't eat all the things I used to eat because some, <laughs> you know, metabolism slows down and yada, yada. And so, right. But I'm not like, I'm also like, it feels very tricky to me because like I diet culture is uh, a scam. Um, and also like, how do I learn to listen to my body? So I've been learning a lot about intuitive eating um, and, mm -hmm. uh, also just like what it is to mindfully choose foods for myself. Like I've never done that before and it feels it's new territory. And so mm -hmm. it's good for me. Yeah. That so that's like, sense. I didn't know if you wanted like the general or the deep, but there it is. Yeah, no, we want all of it. No, I love it. Yeah. So tell our listeners for our listeners that aren't as familiar with you as they now know we mm. are. Um, tell them a little bit about kind of what your work is in the sure. world, how you, um, you know, kind of where you find yourself in, in the mm -hmm. space today. Uh, my name is Kevin Miguel Garcia. My pronouns are they, them, or she, or he, you know, I, I still, um, I'll be your brother in Christ or I'll be your good Judy, whatever you need. Just let me know. Um, my general rule is just like, as long as you're being kind, that's my rule. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, fair, my yeah. work has, uh, centered around uh, for a long time, uh, queer Christianity and the intersection of Christian faith and, and queer identity, mostly in helping people articulate how they can use the Bible as a tool for liberation, um, for queerness. And then also for every other part of our experience. Um, lately I have seen a shift in myself from moving from 
needing and wanting to reform the big C church, which I think I felt for a long time was a part of like my role or my journey in this world. And I think that reformation is important, but I don't know if I'm as passionate about it as I am about um, revolution, if you will, and really trying to uh, yes, come on, let me tell you what, because sometimes you can't reform something that's, that doesn't want to be reformed. That's my thing. And I'm like, I don't want to, I'm tired of fighting you people. So I'm more right. excited about all of the new spaces that are starting to be created and creating space for the queer people of faith, queer people of faith who are, um, I, I like to think of it as like spiritually expansive is a nice way of putting it. Um, and I think that's also a nice way of putting it so that people who are like tiptoeing out of Christianity don't freak out when they see that I read tarot cards. It's like, ah, he's a witch. Burn her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. One of our, one of my friends and, and I'm sure that you both know, um, my friend, Jennifer, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about, um, in the world about how we should kind of, you know, burn down mm -hmm. or kind of level systems that are not working for us anymore, whether that's our, our, our police forces or, um, you know, systems that are, systemically kind of denigrating others in the world and 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 she is kind of coming at mm. this position of like let's right. let's burn down the capital c church like not physically burn it down but like let's really figure out what it looks like to dismantle it to its foundation and mm. then what does it look like to reimagine it Same. in the world and i am mm -hmm. just so there yeah. for that i'm i'm like I'm living for this imaginative mm -hmm. possibility of, you know, what does, what does the world look like? Um, you know, especially for those of us like you and I, Kevin, who, you know, come at this work mm -hmm. from, um, you know, a, right, right. A, you know, a, a Christian lens, not necessarily identifying ourselves as Christian because of all of the bag of bullshit that comes with it but as people mm -hmm. who you know once stood in a space mm -hmm. and, and and for me still does stand yes. in a space where jesus is you know still a pretty mm -hmm. big fucking rock star for me um and then and then yeah. but then how does that look as we move forward into mm -hmm. you know into what's next that's, not, that's something I'm i've been wondering too is um I, something I uh i was talking a about match. with a friend of mine george McHale. Mm. he said um that the church's number one product, the Sunday morning service, has been deemed a non-essential service. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, my God, you're right. And what's been interesting I've seen mm. um, in my little community here in Atlanta is that we're still gathering on Sunday doing the Zoom thing. And then we've also found, okay, we need to find creative ways to continue to do what we do. And so we have mental health check-ins with different pastoral staff. We got book club, anti-racist book club going. Um, it's like we've we've pivoted in all these interesting and different ways, and it's all digital right now. Um, and so, what I'm very curious about is like how. And then also, I think uh, I've seen it in my own work is that I've I've seen so many people reach out to me and like start getting involved with because this moment is waking a lot of white people up to the reality of what they've been dealing or not dealing with. Uh, I, a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of, not I feel, I've been seeing a lot of Christian folk from my past kind of come out of the woodwork yes. like, ooh, maybe it's time for me to get on board. Uh, 
And so it's, it's very interesting for me to see how faith is beginning. Like our, it's like just kind of in some mm. ways organically happening. It's just like these spaces that we've started and kind of been dreaming up are slowly starting to take shape um, in a digital space before they come to fruition in a physical space, whatever that's going to look like 2021 ish. Right. Yeah. Right. And so let, let me, can I go a little deeper with mm. that? Um, so, you know, we, we have found ourselves, I think, I think serendipitously, but also with, I don't know that there was much, you know, skill involved on our part at this interesting crossroad of, you know, reimagining mm -hmm. church as, as a, as a community because of what COVID-19, um, required of mm -hmm. us. And we are at this intersection of the church really having to dig deeply around its role in right. supremacy culture and, and what it means to be the church during these times of, um, you know, of, of awakening mm -hmm. for a lot of white folk. Do you, do you see this as a time that is um, mm. a time of opportunity? Or do you see this as a time that we should be doing more um, kind of listening and deconstruction mm. rather than right. action and reconstruction? I think it's going to depend on the person. Uh, and also, I guess, like where people are on their journey. I think I have been in a place where, yes, I'm, we're always going to be deconstructing for like the big secret of it all is that you never stop picking apart the things you think are solid form um it's like the holy spirit just comes along and it's just like you mm -hmm. thought <gasps> and then just disturbs it and that's what i i that's uh come on come on in the back jesus, door jesus and flip over my tables um i don't know what that means but <laughs> but i yeah, but I think I the spirit's either. there. You I know? don't either, but I like it. <laughs> but I, uh, I think that there's many opportunities here for creativity right. in the way that people are um, starting to develop new spiritual practices. I think that's also been another big focus of my work is like, what do we do uh, in the in-between when we can't gather together with people? You know, what is your, you know... I think it's like growing up, I was always really offended when people were just like my religious experience is very personal. And I'm just like, Jesus is like a personal savior, but he's like everybody's savior. So like you got to proclaim it. Like, no, no, no. I was such an evangelist, you guys. It was not cool. <laughs> well, it was cool at the time, but then I realized it was not. Anyways, um, it's kind of uh, I'm realizing right. what it is to bring the spiritual into your thought process and not let it be just a passing thought or just like, Ooh, mm -hmm. is God, when you realize that God's not angry with you, um, it really does change a whole lot of stuff and frees you up to do what is actually asked of you in the world. Um, so for me, I think that there's an opportunity, uh, at least from my work and what I've been, how I've been working with people as we've been learning and strategizing and imagining practices that we can keep privately on our own. And then also joining together on zoom calls to do group meditation where we literally get on zoom and we're quiet together. 
how weird is that? But it's so, it's so good. Um, and so I think for some people, yeah, it's going to be about, I think it's a little bit of both and because I think we're out of time, like the election's less than 150 days away. So it's like, I need you to show up for the March. And then when someone tells you what you did wrong, you say, I'm sorry. And you get back in line. That's it. Like you don't like feel guilty later if you need to, but really like people don't want mm-hmm. you to feel guilty. They just want you to do the right thing. So I think that's where I'm at is like, uh, right. mm-hmm. he, we can heal as we go. We need to heal as we go, at least for this particular moment until we in, you know, until black lives stop getting killed, like got shit to do until queer and trans bodies are free. Got shit to do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about race, because I know that um, mm-hmm. you and I share a very similar orientation. In, and I'm playing with the language yes. here and trying to figure out what feels best, but we both have Latinx heritage. Mm-hmm. It's the, uh, and we, are, we both have it. similar melanin deficiency. Mm-hmm. And so how do we, people like you and I, you know, I've, I've called myself a white passing Latinx. Mm. Someone, someone commented and said, that's disruptive to anti-racism. You could call, you should call yourself a white Latinx. And, you know, culturally um, and ethnically, I'm not really oriented to whiteness. There's a lot of about the way I mm-hmm. think about my life that is rooted in being Mexican American. And so how do we talk about ourselves mm-hmm. in this moment? And, you know, because we're not the only mixed race people in the world and we may have mixed race listeners. Um, and so what is the most faithful way to be talking mm-hmm. about ourselves in the face of anti-black racism and the struggle for right. um <sighs> the struggle for that's all like that I'll, i always begin lives. with a big sigh because i feel like they're my initial interestingly enough my initial react my shame reaction says you're not you're not mexican enough to talk about this and i'm like that's exactly what the empire wants you to think it's exactly what whiteness wants you to think right and what you said about not being oriented towards mm-hmm. whiteness resonates with me as well, because I feel very similarly. It was my friend, Miles Markham, who looked me down in the face and said, Kevin, you're not white. Your daddy was Mexican. Deal with that. And I was like, right. Your last name is Garcia. And um, mm-hmm. just a, a funny aside, not really funny, but just interesting. Uh, I found out that through conversations with my mother, the reason all of my brothers and I have my name, our names are Patrick, Robert, Kevin, and Ryan, very white Irish names paired with a Mexican last name. And so found out my mother named us specifically white names because she did not want us having trouble in the rest of life. Cause she knew what would happen if I was a Juan Garcia or if I was a Jose Garcia. Mm. Um, so I just find that interesting, but being, how I've been orienting or working with this is just owning like, yes, I recognize that the way that I look both in passing as male, cause I have a beard and a pretty deep voice um, and uh, passing as a white person 
I think it is important. I don't want to say that I'm a white Latinx person the same way that you don't, because I think that kind of identifies me with this thing that I've been actively struggling against. Um, and the reason I, you know, my public name on all my stuff is Kevin Miguel Garcia is because I want people to try and locate me as closely to who I am uh, without me having to do any explanate, explanating, <laughs> explaining. Um, and then also it's, yeah, it's, it's the, the complicated middle yeah. place of, you know, the people love that word liminal space. It's an in-between of, uh, how the way I have done it is at least for me, like I'm trying to mm -hmm. reconnect with my Mexican family, the part of my family that is hella brown. Um, but like we didn't have a, a great connection growing up because my dad had a, a strange relationship with them. So it's complicated. Um, mm -hmm. And then in relation to talk, like use like this moment talking with black lives, I think that I have found mm -hmm. my lack of shame around. Cause I think and maybe this has to do with like, I've been working on myself enough that this just, just rose up. I don't feel uh, guilt doesn't sting or doesn't, doesn't hold on to me much as much anymore. Um, what it feels like for me is like when I get correction, I'm able to just like most of the time, unless my ego decides to get in the way. Um, but I can take the critique, I can integrate it and I can move on. So it's like, I, I don't deal with white guilt the way that a lot of, our peers do where they are just too scared to make a mistake. So they don't do anything. Um, and so I think what's been helpful for me is being able to have the conversations with my, mm -hmm. frankly, my mostly white audience, because I come from evangelical world, mostly queer, mostly white. Um, but I'm able to like really bring people in because frankly like i have a disarming look about mm -hmm. me i've got a gingery beard and a bright-eyed you know personality and I'm like you know people read me as the fun gay guy who's approachable and i use i, I feel like that for me mm -hmm. i can use that as an advantage to pull people into a bigger conversation and push them towards resources and actions that are going to help the mm -hmm. movement um and knowing that i'll do it imperfectly knowing that at some point someone's gonna give me some constructive feedback um but I'm never worried mm. about being canceled. I think that's the thing. It's like, everyone's like, oh, everyone's just trying to cancel each other. I'm like, that, that doesn't really mean anything anymore. Like it meant something back in the day, but like y'all all are quote unquote, I'm afraid of being canceled. I'm like, no, you're just afraid of messing up. That's it. There's a difference. Um, and so I think that's kind of where I've landed is that I, I know I try to just remember, I know who mm. I am and if other people cannot see that or other people don't want to see that y'all dumb, like I'm a, I'm a delight to be around and my whole self is like a gift. So if you don't want to engage with all of me, like I don't personally have time for you anymore. I don't know if that answered the question mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I think it, there's a lot there to think about and to sit with. I mean, because I also think, we are all swimming in the water of supremacy culture mm -hmm. and we're all yes. we're all conscripted into whiteness even though culturally we may not identify with being white and so um 
there's just a lot. Conscripted into whiteness is the best phrase I have heard in so long. And I'm going to use that on everyone. Thank you. You can borrow it. Just footnote me. Um, Duh. Um, so I just, I don't know. I just think there's a lot for us to sit with, um, especially those of us who whose audience, I mean, because my audience is mostly white. And mm-hmm. when I think about what does it mean to have a white audience, but to not identify with whiteness, mm. right? What is the message that we are sending to our audiences and how do we challenge them to move the needle a little bit to help them become anti-racist, to help them realize that anti-black racism exists, to help them cultivate a double consciousness that I think people who are in Nepantla like you and I are have Mm -hmm. because of our, because of our story, the way our story has shaped us. Mm -hmm. I like that idea of double consciousness of just like, when you say, okay, real quick, define what you mean by double consciousness, because I think I know what you mean, but I'm not sure. Well, you know, this this phrase comes from W.E. Du Bois, and, and where the Black person had to have a double consciousness of their own reality mm-hmm. and, the, and the reality that was present before them, mm, right? right? And so holding the complexity and the nuance of these multiple realities created what he called something like a double consciousness um and it are we able to foster that double consciousness are we able to Mm -hmm. hold the reality of our moment and also the reality that is constructed Mm -hmm. that is yes Ooh, that uh, oh sorry the reason i'm getting so excited because like you you can borrow that too uh, it's like listen you're a genius the the, the idea that is coming to mind for me uh, is it, it happens a lot in my work as a as a like spiritual coach, um, talking with people mm-hmm. about and what's so interesting too and wonderful is like a lot of the conversations over the past few weeks with my clients has been about how do I be a better ally for racial justice while I'm also healing from my woundings as a queer person, healing from my woundings as a trans person. Um, you know, and that is a real thing to note is that our mental health, like those of us who are like, you know, like having to work uh, or like, it's like we're, we've been called into advocacy because it is survival for us. Like we have to do this. Otherwise we're right. all like, literally, we're all going to die if we don't do this. Um, and so at the same time, like there is that fine balance of healing myself so that I have the stamina, the wherewithal, and the tools to continue to heal the world. To, and so I think that there is a, I, I guess I talked about this on the front end too, is how do we, in, you know, both in community and on an individual level, promote our mental health and our physical health while also being able to show up in whatever ways that looks like. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I have to wonder, so, you know, as, as you both know, you know, I come at this from a, you know, very white um, vantage point and, 
and the, you know, I, I am, and, and in the past have been guilty of, you know, what you spoke of early Kevin, which is, you know, um, you know, having such fragility in my being that I was more afraid of messing up than I was about doing it in the first place. I, I've long since passed that. I've long since, you know, recognized that my, uh, my capacity to act and, and in, in some ways, my, the, the fact that I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm now at a point where I don't have, my being doesn't feel as it has, as if it yes. has a choice other than to act, um, ha has allowed me to get out of my own way in some instances. But I have to wonder at, at, at what point specifically for you and Robin as, um, you know, white Latinx people in this, in this conversation, do you, um, find that the, the ways that you have been personally affected by supremacy culture and conscript, conscripted to whiteness in your upbringing, how does it, you know, affect your capacity to, you know, to, to be a part of the movement. And, and I think you've both verbalized that really well, but I, I also know that, you know, for, at least for Robin and I, and I know for a lot of the folks that we have on the podcast, I mean, we're all right. still trying to figure some of that out. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I know I'm definitely trying to still figure some of that out and I'm radically mind, mindful of it, especially as I'm, you know, finding myself in, in physically in the movement over the, over the last, you know, four to five weeks. Mm. And what, what does that even look like? I, you know, you mentioned a, you mentioned, uh, um, your, mm -hmm. your role as a spiritual coach. Um, um, and I personally love, I love the definition, um, the way, or the way you self-define on your website as an intuitive soul coach. Um, I, the, the, the words are intriguing to me. Um, but I, but I love the way that they blend in this imaginative possibility of self as well as, um, understanding mm -hmm. of self as self relates to the rest of the world. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of why you mm -hmm. why you identify as an intuitive soul coach like what does that mean for you what is that like how does that work different yeah, from I, someone else that says oh yeah i'm a spiritual coach we know you know especially kind of people in the progressive space that identify as that yes i think i like the term soul coach over like many of my counterparts would call themselves life coaches um and what you do with your life is like one thing, like, you know, those are full of choices and all that stuff. And I'm not exactly interested in that as much as I'm interested in people understanding that whatever you do, you understand that you are connected to God. And uh, what I do in my work is like, let's identify where in your story, where in your soul that you've got a block that you think that God could not use you or be with you or hasn't been with you. And additionally, a lot of this uh, work has to do with like we unpack, we're unpacking our religious trauma, meaning, you know, I hear a lot of uh, like, 
the stories of a lot of queer people of faith people coming out of Christian um, conservative backgrounds, it's um, it's a lot of un, like, well, you know, I grew up thinking that God was this horrible, you know, mad at me. I said, well, like, is that what you really think? Like, what does your gut tell you? What is your spirit? It was like, well, my entire life, I've actually thought it was okay. I'm like, newsflash, it was, and it is. And so it's like, how, you know, it's just, it's teaching techniques to remember, <laughs> you know, your soul, your true soul. Like, I think the soul, I would define it as the seat of the, uh, this sounds very esoteric and a little woo woo. Um, your soul is the seat where the divine is like your eternal self that sits with God, both here and outside of time, however that works. Um, and I think what I like about uh, mm -hmm. my approaches to spirituality and because it's what's been taught to me is a lot of people like it, like, the, like, let's get in tune with your soul and just like forget all your problems and just like forget all your suffering. And I, what I don't ever want to do is neglect the body because I think there's a lot of uh, folks out there who want to do just like spirit, spirit, spirit all the time, but never actually addressing mm -hmm. my body is suffering. My lived experience is suffering. Tell me what, what does that mean in light of all of this stuff? Um, and so it's, um, when I say intuitive soul coach, I think it's like, we want, I want to use my own intuitive self, like my connection. When I say intuition, I mean my connection to spirit or God or love, um, and helping people coach their own souls back into that space where they feel that same connection, which I think is, which I know I'll say for myself is how I, how I sustain myself in these times. Um, and within the work, it's like. It's something that you said, Anna, it's like once it's like, I don't like within my person, I no longer have a choice. I can't see it any other way. And my hope is that in my work with queer folks um, or just any person who is healing from religious trauma and reconnecting to their spirituality, I would hope my hope is that my work reignites their imagination to imagine what they think is possible. Because for a lot, this is me going into, um, Willie J. Jennings, I remembered him this time, uh, theologian, um, tells this story um, where way back in the day, you know, his, uh, mm -hmm. his mama was a sharecropper and she was out in the field, you know, doing the stuff. And the Methodist pastor comes up and invites um, Willie and his mom to church. And she says, well, I'm already a minister down at the, the Baptist church in town. And Willie's telling the story is like in the minds of these well-meaning white Methodist ministers, there was no way that she, my mother and I could have already been part of the beloved. And so that is what just hit me in my gut is like, we have to imagine that it's possible that we are a part of God. And really, if we can imagine it, like what's to stop it from manifesting itself in our real life and our real lived experiences. Mm. And then the answer to that, this is where I think it drives me into like, well, there's this whole system of supremacy culture that is set up to destroy anything that doesn't fit the mold. Um, and so if that is the thing that's standing us in the way of experiencing love, experiencing God more, then I think it's our duty to dismantle it, to destroy it so that, we can experience more God and everyone else can experience more God. That's really 
how it boils down to it for me and like anything in the way mm-hmm. I'm, and i mean anything like my feelings <laughs> somebody yes. else's feelings the president of the united states of america like i don't care i don't care mm-hmm. like and this is like what i'm also very convinced of is because i whew, see now i'm getting goose pimples and i know that i'm starting to reach yeah. a little bit so i'll slow down um i i hear like i was um uh, I said this on another podcast, but I bears repeating. Come on, no, Our don't stop. Sister Beth Moore, we love her. You know, we she's like right there. She's right on the edge of like just girl. Just send the tweet that they're going to fire you for and go at it. You know, you want to. It's and I'm just like it's more fun over here. Mm-hmm. But she put out these mm-hmm. series of tweets right when the protests for George Floyd really started taking off that first week. <laughs> Um, she said, you know, we're seeing something happen in the country and the church needs to be leading it. And if we don't, God's going to basically said like, we're on the wrong side of history here. And if we don't do something about this, God's going to punish us, which is true, but she never named police brutality. She never named George Floyd. She never, she didn't, she did everything short of doing the right thing. And I was like, the church is already out here, girl. Like, what, like you think you are the church over mm-hmm. here, like waiting on the sidelines, but no, no, no. The church has been made manifest in the bodies of people who are out in the streets, chanting their names, saying, I cannot yes. breathe, demanding an end to police brutality, blocking highways, getting people elected, um, you know, you, bailing people out of jail. The church has been at work. I don't know where you've been, sis, but uh, so it's one of those things where like that to me, and now this is where it gets really interesting is like, yeah. <laughs> is like, uh, language or is so limiting, isn't your it? version of the church. And this is why I would, this, and this is another thing. It's just like, yeah. well, if that, if, if Beth Moore's version of the church is that, then, uh, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Or if that is like what it means to be a Christian over there, then I'm good. I don't need, I don't need Beth Moore's Jesus. Well, you know, Kevin, when you're talking about Beth Moore and I, I was, I was there when she started living proof ministries. Um, and yeah, I have that whole history, uh, that I don't really talk about, but when, Mm. when you talk about Beth Moore and, and the tweets that she went out and the invocation that if we don't, Mm. if we're not on the right side of history, God will punish us. If you, if you hold that, in contradistinction mm. with what you were talking about, intuitive soul coaching, you are really talking about God is with us. You're talking about Emmanuel, mm-hmm. and where, and where, and where Beth Moore is talking about this transcendent being, this antiquated notion of God as someone other than with us. Um. I just came across a book by Ernst Bloch, who was part of the Frankfurt School and German Idealism. He wrote a book called Atheism in Christianity, where he talks about the death of God has to be Mm -hmm. part of the equation. And what I mean by the death of God is the death of this notion of a transcendent being that is somewhere outside of our time and space Mm -hmm. that is orchestrating everything. And that there is a role of atheism, and I would subscribe to this kind of thinking, the, that the death mm. of that God 
which which Nietzsche talks about and other people mm. talk about is so important for this moment that creates conditions for your work, Kevin, to to deal with the imminent, to deal with the now, to deal with the here and now. So I just got goosebumps because I'm like, I'm thinking about, I mean, what I hear when you say that, Robin, is Mm -hmm. the way that we have othered God. We have, Mm -hmm. we have othered God into something that is apart from us and that is so different from us that Mm -hmm. we can, we can no longer relate to God as 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 oneness or to god as capable of being embedded in self and and how pervasive how is how is it not a wonder that we have othered every single other entity mm-hmm. culture right. race gender expression i mean fill in mm-hmm. the blank and on and on and on if we if we started with the othering of God in the first place, it shouldn't surprise any of us that that's where we've ended up. Um, mm-hmm. And and until we recognize mm-hmm. that that God is Emmanuel is a, a, an intrinsic part of every cell of our being, and mm-hmm. has always been. Yeah. The um, thought that comes know, to mind. We we are going to continue to you know create oof, that so barrier good. and to separate uh, and to other both the God othering of God one another is it's one of the it's it's a the othering of God and also the death of God. I want to go with the death of God first because that's really interesting. Is that so? Like I have wrestled so much with. Uh, because like I come from you know Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. The fires of hell. Um, and really, I've been trying to like, okay, well, what was the whole, what was that whole point, you know, of Jesus dying on the cross and there. <laughs> right. Uh, and I think it was one of those things where like, I wonder if I'm like sitting in the position of, you know, the beloved who said, I will never deny you. My, my, my teacher, I'll never deny you, Rabbi. And then three times and then he's out. And it's so interesting. It's just like, and I wonder if like sitting there in that position, he's like, no, you're God. You can't die. You're God. You can't die. I need you. You're God. You can't die. And then Jesus goes up on the cross to say, listen, behold, and then comes back later to say, like, behold, I'm always with you. And then also Jesus was dropping hints along the way. He's like, y'all, you need to understand my father and I are one. And then also I tell you the truth. Whenever you did unto the least of these visiting in jail, taking care of the orphans, taking care of the widow, you did unto me. Jesus was saying the whole time, if you think, if you think I'm God, look around you, Right. look at all these other reflections of God out here. So even if I'm not here, even if my body's not here, my body's still here. And that I think is like when I, um, oof, on a Easter Sunday, we did, um, or no, it was Good Friday. We did a reimagined version of you th- or were you there when they crucified my Lord mm-hmm. and added the lunch, a lot of uh, uh, Black Lives Matter themes in there. But it's really, it's like, were you there when they shot him in the street? Were you there when you, uh, when you said I could not breathe? Oof, sometimes the thought it causes me to tremble. And that to me, like you said, like I want to see God oh. in everybody else, on everything else, in everything else. That to me, that's exciting. 
that's an exciting move of the spirit. That is not a dead religion um, or even like a religion that has, it's not even, it's not performative. It's just like, like Anna said, this mm-hmm. is the next right thing for me to do. I can't do anything yes. else but this. Mm-hmm. <sighs> My God. The other thing too, the othering of God. So this is an idea that um, I'm a big Course in Miracles person. Um, mm-hmm. It's been um, my text and my devotion for probably the last year. Um, And I say my text as in like, I see, I really do see it as a holy text, not perfect because no holy text is perfect, but I do think there's a lot of wisdom in there. And then there's also um, the workbook for students, which takes you through a single meditative idea over the course of 365 days to change your mind um, about who you are and who you think God is. And one thing it always comes back to is uh, this idea that you just, you keep forgetting God. You keep forgetting that you are one with God. Come back to it. Stop forgetting. Every single time you have a fearful thing, come back to it. And so when you say othering God, it's like, it's a both and. It's like, we didn't realize that we were othering God when we do it to other people. And the reason we don't realize we're doing, we're othering God and other people is because we've othered ourselves from God. The ego has set this thing up to where we, you know, think we have to do it on our own, or we think that we have to be uh, perfect, or we think we have to be a certain way to be in the presence of God. But if we can start from, God is always infinitely pleased with me, and there's nothing more or less I could do to change that. Or, you know, if we want to get, you know, into the body, it's just like, what would it be like for me to love myself no matter what happened? And that to me is very, very interesting to say like, what if I was not separate from God? What if I didn't other myself from God? Because the truth is once you see your, once you see God in yourself, you can see it in everybody else and everything else. And that to me is how I got my start into advocacy work mm. is because I finally realized that I was worthy of standing up for myself. And then once I had the strength to, it's just, it just naturally comes. And so I get, um, I get very excited about talking about this, like yes, about spiritual practice and like, how do we just remember? Cause if we can cut like mm-hmm. anytime I'm freaking out, if I can just remember, come back to peace, mm-hmm. God's always with you. I was in the grocery store this morning, like having a little bit of an anxiety moment. And I was just like, okay, this is what's going on. And I realized you, uh, you took your meds, but you didn't have anything to eat with them. So you're a little shaky. Um, you're in a grocery store right now with a lot of people who are also probably yeah. carrying a lot of nervous energy. Uh, and you're a little bit behind in your schedule. No wonder you feel a little anxious. Um, but you can come. It's okay. Come back to peace. God's with you. Come. And it's, it's as practical as talking to myself in a grocery store and as deep as me you know, sitting under the moon and crying because I feel one with the universe. <laughs> and then also feeling completely in that same spirit mm-hmm. when I am marching in a protest or I'm trying to do Zoom church. How do I experience God in all these things? Okay, done blathering. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Yeah. No, that was just all really good. Yeah, you were feeding me exactly what I needed to eat today. So I'm I'm glad you blabbed. 
I'm glad. So you wrote a book that is very popular. I'm very proud of it. Tell us about the book. Yes, yes, yes. Um, the book is called Bad Theology Kills, subtitle Undoing Toxic Beliefs and Reclaiming Your Spiritual Authority. And the book actually started as a slogan on a t-shirt that I launched on Teespring, like shortly after I came out. Cause like I got kicked out of the evangelical world when I came out, mm -hmm. uh, I was working for a missions organization. So I was trying every side hustle to make a buck so that I would, you know, so I could stay above water you know? Yeah. And uh, it's one of my favorite t-shirts and I wear it to protests all the time. And people come up to me and I'm in my collar and my stole and my yeah. bad theology kills t-shirt and people are like oh my god that shirt is amazing i'm like mm -hmm, yeah i know i'm really like it's it's wild because it was very i think um this was before i had i went to seminary or anything but it was just very clear to me and it, i cite um all the work that i like i learned from ana jelsey velasco sanchez was the first person i attended a um racial justice workshop with just to learn the basics of stuff. And she was the one who really introduced me to this idea that our theologies, whatever they are, lead to an outcome. And uh -huh. it was from then I was like, well, this almost killed me. So really, let's just sum it up and say bad theology kills. And it's like the mo it's blunt. It's to the point. And I, I it's like Nini leaks. I said what I said, dot GIF. You know what I'm saying? I said what I said in this. Yeah. So it started off there. Fast forward a couple of years. Um, I tried to go the traditional publishing route, but if every single uh, person I sent a book proposal to or a, uh, you know, any sort of representation, um, I couldn't get anyone to look at me. And that's fine because at the end of the day, the publishing industry is uh, part of a capitalist system. And at the end of the day, they're looking to make a buck. And if you <laughs> have a book that has the words bad theology kills on it, and then like a picture of a church on it, depend, you know, it's a, it's a risky book. So I get that. Right. Yeah. But what I have been so surprised to see is how well it's done despite being an indie launch, despite me not doing all the things I should have. Um, because the book for me, once I stopped trying to quote unquote, get it published and just wrote the thing, and I allowed it to be what it wanted to be rather than me trying to make it into this perfect, perfectly well-rounded, going to address every single sin in society book. It's like, just talk about what's right in front of you. Talk about this one thing first, get this in people's heads and then do the next thing. Uh, mm -hmm. But the book came out and I got to share my story and it's been so cool to see whose hands it's ended up in. Um, I had my favorite story I have is like of a grandpa who just commented on my Instagram and said, I just want to let you know that my granddaughter came out to me and she gave me your book to read so that, um, and I changed my mind and it, you've really helped this grandpa keep a relationship with his granddaughter. And I was like, Oh my God, you guys. Um, Beautiful. But yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been cool. It's been fun. I've, I love it. I'm really, really proud of the book. It is so imperfect. Um, cause it was all done on my own slash with my editor. Um, but I am really proud of, of that book and what it's been able to do. You should be proud of it. Are you well done? 
are you working on anything else? Yes. So I have been, um, I, I kind of had to give myself a little bit of a break from making content in mass because, uh, mental health issues and sickness issues. And I'm glad I gave myself that space, but what I'm working on presently, um, I'm creating, I'm actually creating a, a group coaching kind of program. Uh, specifically around creating new spirituality or cons or like uh, creating new spiritual practices and undoing the old ones. Cool. Um, mm. So cool. think of it like Bible study, small group, um, and uh, group coaching rolled into one. Um, nice. So that's my big project that I've been putting on. As I was putting together that program, I sent it to my coach and he said, um, I think you just outlined your second book. And I was just like, oh! you're right and so very, so very um, cool very cool i think there there's that the other things i'm working on um there's going to be increased stuff all over the place um my podcast is finally coming back because my brain's back and so the first one's in rosella is coming on the pod tomorrow rosella white mm -hmm. um great and we're just going to keep pushing forward so yeah that's the, a tiny revolution and the other one i'm finally trying to bring back is uh, a podcast that's focused on um, how we relate to sex and relationships, um, but with like making it a side, mm -hmm. a side of shadiness and just funny, fun times. So it's like, let's LOL, but also let's have like deep conversations about sex and relationships um, called Thoughts and Prayers, spelled T-H-O-T-S. Mm. <laughs> so that's going to good. That's the reaction I wanted, Anna. That's the reaction I wanted. I love it. I love it. I love so, um, so that's gonna, those have been my my things I've been working on for right now. Um, yeah, I'm doing yoga every day. That's another thing I'm working on. Trying to be a, a dis not disciplined, a committed yogi. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, Kevin, we, I mean, I can't thank you enough. I, I just, I'm so grateful that you, that you allowed us to unlock your, your brain and, and let these, this amazing thought just kind of spew into the universe today. I'm, I have, I have gotten so much out of being with you today. And, mm -hmm. um, I know our listeners are gonna, are gonna just really find this to be, superb what's the best way for folks to follow you to be in touch to kind of keep up with what you're doing in the world where where would you send them if they were interested in 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 following you right all of my work can be found at the kevingarcia.com it's t-h-e kevingarcia.com uh, i'm across social media at the kevin garcia and you can get the book at badtheologykills.com perfect wonderful yeah Y'all, this has been so wonderful and I'm so grateful to be friends with y'all and to be doing this work with y'all. Um, I learned like, I just really like you and I'm thankful for you and I'm not going to cry right now because I'll save that for therapy. Samesies. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you, Kevin. I, I love the fact that our worlds have intersected and that we are that we are jointly, collaboratively, cooperatively pushing out content that is not in competition, yes. but actually supports each other. 
And that's the work that I want to be about mm-hmm. in the movement. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad to have been on your podcast. I'm so glad that you're mm-hmm. now on our podcast. And I can't wait for folks to listen to this. Me too. It's going to be great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Well, friends, as you know, you can find both Robin and I um, at Activist Theology on all the socials at Activist Theology. Don't forget that activist and theology share a T. And if you're interested in supporting the podcast, um, we would love any support you're willing to provide. You can support the podcast at activisttheology.kindful.com. And that's kindful, K-I-N-D-F-U-L. We will see you again next week. Um, This is a really perfect end to Pride Month. And um, I'm thrilled that Kevin was with us and I'm thrilled that I got to, to um, be with you again one more week, Dr. Robin. We're doing this thing. One more week. Let's do it. Let's get free. Are you looking to connect the dots between what you think and how you live? Are you looking for a more robust way to be in solidarity with the movement? Are you looking to get your hands dirty with the work of social justice? Join Dr. Robin and Reverend Anna Galladay each week as they share, reflect, and analyze on pressing social concerns. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.kindful.com and click on podcast. And remember, activist and theology share a T. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by our friends Delta Ray. Our sound editor and engineer is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds.